The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, Building a World of Difference. By CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. By Mentor APM, intelligent asset management software built for water. By 374 Water, pioneering a new era in sustainability. By Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. And by Intera, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. This is Session 223. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you for joining me. I cannot believe it is November already. Hope everyone had a great Halloween and that you're successfully navigating the transition to the upcoming holidays. We have a fantastic guest for you today. We have Austin Alexander from Xylem, and she's going to discuss a new report by Xylem titled Net Zero, The Race We All Win. It's a great look at how utilities can decarbonize some simple steps. And Austin is just simply awesome bringing home some of those simple steps and easy ways to get started on the path towards net zero. And the surprise, it saves money in most instances. But I'll let Austin explain that because she does a great job of it. Before we get going in earnest with this episode, I'd like to single out a piece of correspondence that I received since our last episode, because I feel it just speaks to the power and dedication of those in the water sector. And I note that I received permission from the sender to go public with this. And uh, I won't use the sender's last name just to provide some measure of anonymity, but uh, Kyle is the sender. And Kyle writes, quote, I recently interviewed with the Energy and Environmental Cabinet for an attorney position During the interview, I was able to talk about my trial experience in insurance defense alongside my experience with the New York Attorney General handling SPDES permits as they relate to CAFOs. I was able to supplement this with some of the information I learned from our connection, namely the destruction caused by supercritical water from your recent PFAS episode. I accepted an offer in the Natural Resources Division and start November 1st. Happy to be pursuing my dream in the sector, and I owe you my thanks, end quote. Well, Kyle, I hope you're having a great first day and that many more great days await you. You know, I get a lot of correspondence, but this one just seemed special. So, Kyle, thank you for reaching out. It means a lot that you sent that that uh, piece of correspondence. As you know, we always say thank you to our great sponsors at the top of the show. Again, sponsors of the Water, Value, Water Values podcast are Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Can Do, Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard & Curran, and Intera. And that, my friends, is a ter- terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry thought leadership and education. Thank you all, and I'd like for you to do me a favor, you listeners, that is. If you work for or with any of the sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You would be surprised how far that simple little note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know 
that you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. Be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. And as always, please do not forget to subscribe to the podcast. But before we head on to the interview with Austin, let's get to our Bluefield on Tap segment with Bluefield Research's Reese Tisdale. So take it away, guys. Reese, welcome back to another Bluefield on Tap. How are you doing today? Pretty good, Dave. How about yourself? Hey, the Mariners won a series, so that's uh, at least at least I can smile about that. It's been a long, I, been I a was long wonder, time. <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to come up. <laughs> hey, at least we at least we tasted it again after 21 years. Um, so let's get down to business. A lot going on in the water industry. Uh, what's uh, what? What do you want to highlight this this month? Well, I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of uh, topics on the table I wanted to talk about. Well, one thing that's interesting, and now we're partly digging more into it or revisiting it in greater detail now, is uh, desalination is not dead, it seems. It looks like uh, there's some activity in California. Yeah. Well, so why do you phrase it like that? Why why are you saying desal is not dead? So truth be told, particularly in California, obviously there's a huge drought going on. There's demand or need for water supplies, alternative water supplies. And the um, just this past two weeks ago, the South Coast Water District in California, they received approval for a $140 million desal plant. This comes in the wake of the Coastal Commission's uh, refusal to grant approval for the Huntington Beach project, uh, which was far larger. I mean, that was a $1.4 billion project. But at the time, I think we were thinking, well, desalination is so expensive. There's definite headwinds when it comes to technology, environmental. There's also who's owning the plant, cost of water. And so a project just uh, made another step. So it looks like there's still some opportunity out there. So, you know, excellent points, Reese. Let's, let's let's dig a little into that. Who's who's developing the new plant that just received uh, received approval? So, this is being developed by public entity, not private, um, which is, I think, a key differentiator and maybe had some impact on the approval process as far as public pushback and and stakeholder feelings. It's in South Orange County. Uh, but it's the South Coast Water District, and they're developing it partly because it's a, they serve a community of about 35,000 people, of which 80 to 90% of their water supplies are imported. Uh, and so what they're really trying to do is reduce that dependency on Northern California and other sources. And so what they're trying to do is basically if they can develop a desal plant in a cost-effective manner, then what they'll do is the goal is reduce their outside or imported demand by 50%, which yeah. uh, is pretty significant. Yeah, absolutely. And wh- what about, um, you know, so th- and they, they, if they're already importing water, they don't have the groundwater supplies or the surface water supplies in their area to... Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, over the past couple of years, reuse has become a, a it's really emerged as a, not only competitive, but just more cost-effective solution for alternative water supplies. One, it's it's just cheaper. You know, it's a third to half cheaper than desalination. Desalination is honestly the most expensive water out there. 
but it also, you know, in the case of, of South count South coast, but also California American is facing the same issue, um, as Huntington beach, where there are groundwater supplies and there are wastewater reuse systems that are available to them. South coast doesn't have that option. So what they're really trying to do is use what's at their disposal. And in this case, they seem to have overcome some hurdles in, in presenting it. Yeah. I, and I want to go back to the way you phrased the, when this conversation, when we started it, like desal is not dead. One of the big drawbacks to desal is the brine stream. How is this new plant going to, going to deal with the, the, the brine stream? So I think even stepping back further from that is it's really the environmental issues related to it. There are really three things that tie into, I would say, environmental uh, pushback for desal. One is just the high energy costs related to carbon emissions and what's happening in the world today. Um, that's one issue. The second, to your point, is the brine itself. And so what to do with that brine, you know, and other systems, you, you know, traditionally just dump it back into the ocean, but there's environmental impact on fish, wildlife, and such. And so in this case, South Coast, they have proposed to take that brine, move it to a wastewater treatment facility, dilute it with ocean water, and then sort of, you know, bleed it back out into the ocean in a diluted fashion. And that is the goal to overcome the uh, environmental impacts. And then the last point is the well field. Where's the water being drawn from? That was a big pushback for Huntington Beach. They were going to have basically dig out a pit, put the pipes into the ground, fill it, and then pump the water back in. And so it was just going to be so much uh, subsurface or underwater disturbance to the environment. It was going to be a problem. In this case, they're using slant wells. And so they're basically drilling the wells from the shore, from the beach, and they're basically angling in, and the water will filter through the sand and the uh, subsurface um, under the, underneath the water. Got it. Well, big times ahead for desal. So, uh, Reese, as always, appreciate your insights. Uh, thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, look forward to it, and uh, enjoy the weekend. Thanks. You do the same. We'll talk soon. Bye. As always, great information from Bluefield Research and Reese Tisdale. Now it's on to our featured guest, Austin Alexander, who's going to knock your socks off with her discussion of achieving net zero in the water sector. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Austin, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, David. How are you doing? Thanks uh, for having me, by uh, the way. You bet. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to, to chat with you today. I'm, um, for those of our audience who may not be familiar with your work, uh, could you give us a little background on who you are and how you came to the water sector? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I am. I work at Xylem. We're a global water wastewater technology company, um, and I've been with Xylem for about ten years, um, and came to them right out of college, actually, um, and knew I wanted to work in water, and um, also wanted an organization that could give me global opportunities, areas to travel. Um, so. I joined Xylem in an engineering and customer service role. I moved around through a bunch of different positions, and now I lead our sustainability and social impact. That's awesome. So how did you know that you wanted to be in the water sector? I mean, how, how... <laughs> Yeah, yeah uh, well, actually, pretty early on, I would say like middle school time frame even, um, I became, uh, I would say, mildly obsessed with toilets and access to toilets. 
Um, and that carried me through projects in high school and in college. I studied civil engineering. Um, and at the time when I was in college, took a tour of a wastewater treatment plant and pretty quickly realized, yep, this is where I need to be. Um, and so from there, it was just determining what kind of company I want to join and, and where to go. And, and that's how I found Xylem. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Uh, so in your, in your role as uh, the VP of sustainability and social impact, I mean, that's, uh, that's an ESG type of role um, and environment's a big, big aspect of that. Could you talk a little bit about what you're doing at Xylem now and any recent um, uh, publications or studies you've, you've prepared? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at Salem, I'm responsible, like you said, for our ESG um, programs and reporting. Um, so that includes you know, from supply chain, operations, products, and how we communicate that to the external world um, and set targets and goals. I also have responsibility for our social impact work, which includes philanthropic and other ways that we can provide uh, equitable access to water and sanitation. Um, but then on the the element of how do we as a company show up for the water sector um, and the sustainability drivers that are so critical to many of our shared customers, whether it's water utilities or industrial users of water, um, I get to play a role there. And we most recently have been doing quite a bit of work on how we can help decarbonize the water sector. So we just launched a report this week on uh, the race to net zero for water wastewater utilities, uh, highlighting both the technological aspects, but also the way that utilities are making commitments and making progress. Great. Now, can you, let's 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 take a step back and talk about why decarbonization is is even in the conversation. I mean, w- w- can you kind of place us in terms of uh, water's space in the in, in climate change? Yeah. Yeah. Um, great question. So water, wastewater utilities make up about 2% of global greenhouse gas emit, gas emissions, excuse me. And that's on the conservative estimate. It could be even higher than that. Um, and water use and management more broadly is estimated to be closer to 10% of global greenhouse emissions. And so often we think of the water sector, like a sustainability sector, if there ever was one, right? The services that water utilities are providing day in and day out are, quite frankly, nothing short of of life-giving, but at the same time are contributing in a significant manner to the impacts of climate change. And so when we at Xylem are really thinking this through of how water is showing up on the global climate stage, it was often is afterthought. I mean, you, you've seen, you know, whenever you see a report on climate change or hear about it in the news, you often see water. You see it in the form of drought or in storm events, but it's always talked about as the result, the resiliency we need to build, which is important, but rarely is water talked about in the forefront of how we can use the water sector can lead on mitigating climate change. So we saw it as a real opportunity for us as a sector to lead the way and show if any industry is going to decarbonize, it should be water. Right. Right. So about the, this report you referenced, uh, I think you net zero, the race we all win. Uh, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. What can you 
kind of describe what the report does is says things, you know, just give us a baseline for that and then we'll dig into the nitty gritty yeah, of it. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would say, you know, this report, we, it's one piece of a lot of fantastic materials that are coming out right now from groups like us water Alliance or global water Intel, others that are starting to put out reports on, on um, how we can transition the water utility sector. Um, so we just put our voice in as a technology provider of, of what we think. Um, and two main components, two main takeaways from this report that I'd like to share is first, uh, net zero doesn't have to be a scary term or scary commitment for the water sector. It is a big commitment um, and it does require a lot of us um, to get there. But it, it can be done, you can start small, and there's small actions that you can take today that have pretty significant impact to get you going on the road. And the second is we should celebrate those utilities that are already making big commitments um, and big progress towards net zero. So we tried to do that in the paper. I've also used this as an opportunity to celebrate some of those big wins. Well, Austin, great to know that you've kind of put us at ease that it's not a scary proposition. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you kind of, you know, what, what basis do you have to say it's not scary? Why, why isn't it, why is it big, but not scary? Yeah. Uh, so first coming from a place of, we set our own net zero target last year. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm, I'm working with our leaders across the island to execute on. Um, and it's a huge commitment. Don't get me wrong. Um, there's a lot that needs to happen to get all the way there, but we're finding for ourselves and, and we're seeing this as well for water and wastewater utilities. There's a lot that can be done right now that has really easy things to do that have profound impacts. And typically it starts with on the electricity use side, which is a big component for utilities. It's a big component for uh, organizations like Xylem of just use what you got smarter use your facility smarter, where we can use digital technologies to run our operations more efficient. We're doing that ourselves as an organization. We've got 350 locations and, you know, nearly 10,000 suppliers. So we're, we have to use digital ourselves to get smarter on data and improving and optimizing our systems. And we're seeing the same thing at water utilities where simple implication, imp, implementation, excuse me, of smarter technology have pretty big impacts on overall energy use and thus greenhouse gas emissions. Now together, there's things like in wastewater utilities, the process emissions, which can make up 50 to 70% of their total emissions. That's a longer road to get done. And we'll address that over the coming five to 10 years as technology continues to advance. But right now today, there's technology that exists, it's here, It can often also have great OPEX savings for you and improve your overall operations that are kind of no-brainer ways to get started on the road. Can you give us a preview uh, of, you know, what are some of the simple steps beyond what kind of what you've, like you you talked about electricity usage. What are are kind of some of the, the, how how you go about developing the net zero strategy? What's what's this report going to say about that? Yeah, we, we've broken into four steps, um, which is 
oversimplifies a very complex and long journey, <laughs> but at least to start getting thinking into four simple ways of thinking about the process. And step one is, is um, just get a baseline of your current emissions. Um, which just by doing that will right away tell you where you have the biggest opportunity for efficiency. And so taking the first step, make a commitment and set a baseline. And that activity alone, you'll start to see pretty quickly where you can make progress right away. The second, we, I was just kind of talking about in more detail, use what you got smarter. Okay, now you know where your baseline is. What, what parts of your operations can you do more efficiently that are low to no cost type implementations that often have long-term OPEX savings? Then start thinking about capital planning. What are your capital expenditures in the next two to 10 years? And how can you start working your greenhouse gas targets into that? Maybe it's putting something into your specification design or asking your engineering consultant for design that reduces emissions X percent. Start thinking how we can work that into longer term capital planning. And then step four are the big kind of needle moving activities like uh, energy production from your methane emissions type that are long term investments for utility. They're big needle movers, but will help you close that last big gap of emissions towards the end. But I think often we think net zero, we think we have to jump to step four and think about those really big investments when actually you can make quite a bit of progress up front by starting with just use what you got smarter. What are their next capital projects and making some improvements there? Yeah. And, and does the report get into um, how it really by achieving net zero or by going by starting down the path, you're really serving a, the, the, the triple bottom line. Um, so it, it's not, you're, you're not sacrificing financially uh, in order to uh, achieve net zero or start down the path towards Absolutely. net zero. Yeah. So for it, energy related or electricity related uh, emissions, we found that 95% of those emissions can be addressed with technology that exists today and is at a cost savings or cost neutral. And that's all about using equipment better, using it smarter, running your, um, running your operations more efficiently. You can cut all electricity related emissions by 50% at, um, at cost neutral or um, cost savings. And so right there, it's like, this is smarter just from an economic side. But then from, you know, your communities and your stakeholders, we're seeing a lot of pressure to cities as a whole, to communities that they, that our customers, our end users of water, want to see their utilities moving towards not only protecting the water resources, but be, playing a part in how we solve uh, climate change mitigation. Yeah, I, I I really think um, knowing your audience is really important in in that you know in, in selling these types of improvements, right? Because we all know, at least those of us in the water sector, that achieving net zero is going to be a net positive. But in order to, because utilities serve populations that may not be in tune with net zero as much. 
the financial aspect of it and having it make dollars and cents sense now is really important. I, 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 at least that's in my mind from a public education and a, and a justification standpoint. Absolutely. And David, in, in Europe, I'll make note like in Europe right now where they're having um, some pretty serious energy uh, issues in general, um, this kind of, how do we run your operations more efficiently it just it makes even more sense with higher energy costs. We're seeing a lot of traction in those environments where they're feeling a lot of pressure on energy costs. Yeah, I think I think you're right. So, what what about new approaches and and things that kind of maybe outside the box thinking? Uh, does the report address those types of things? Yeah, it does. So there's you know there's the use what you got smarter element, um, and then there's there's things around getting creative of and I'll say this kind of goes to an overused term, but I'll say it anyways, <laughs> circular economy of how we can really start thinking about particularly wastewater in the context of a resource versus a waste and, and thinking about using that for energy production, using that smarter for fertilizers, other things that can come off of that process. And by doing that, you in naturally will reduce greenhouse gas emissions because you're thinking about what a wonderful little energy uh, electricity plant we've got in a wastewater treatment plant. And so thinking more creatively and communicating that to our broader stakeholders outside of the water sector um, to get think to start thinking of our our water cycle as a whole as this it, it really is the original circular economy. <laughs> how we can really start to build that into our thinking, our designs, our process, our technology, uh, just overall makes the, makes the right impact for the communities we live in, greenhouse gas emissions, and overall water resilience. Yeah. And so, so I'm a utility, and I've really never plunged into the ESG or net zero uh, game before. Where do I start? Yeah, I think first start is... What is your baseline? Where are you? What are your emissions today? And go ahead and start thinking through that. And at Xylem, we first started doing this a few years ago, simply by each of our site leaders was given a workbook and said, hey, walk around your, your site and look at all the places that you're using a lot of electricity or where you might have emissions. It can be as simple as that. It doesn't need to be an overcomplicated process, but just start being aware of where emissions could be related to your process. Then from there, once you're ready, go ahead and make a commitment. Um, and so we like to promote the Race to Zero uh, program through the UN as a great way to say for a utility to make a, a, a public commitment, we're gonna sign up for Race to Zero. Um, but e you know, even before that, I just say, start small, just start looking at your operations today and you'll start finding efficiencies now. Yeah, that, that's a great, and and maybe you even have an example of a utility that has done this, that has gone around and said, you know, I think we can do this smarter. Uh, do you have any any? Uh, and let's 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 try to get a U.S. example. I know we've we've talked about Europe a little bit, but is do you have any U.S. examples? Yeah, um, there's a lot out there, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> which is really encouraging. Um, yeah, that you're really right. encouraging. That, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> and all in different aspects of, you know, different parts of the process. 
a couple I'll highlight as just different um, different types of approaches. So um, I was on a panel at WEFTEC this past week with uh, NEORSD, the Cleveland Wastewater Utility, mm-hmm. and they're thinking about how do I use biosolids smarter and how can we use that for waste energy and what does our future biosolids management look like and the emissions related to it. In South Bend, Indiana, they're using their wastewater collection network smarter by putting digital over their entire collection system to run their their collection system more efficiently. It has an energy savings component, it has a combined sewer overflow component, and it has an operational efficiency component. Um, As well as, and I encourage listeners to check out the U.S. Water Alliance's Imagination Challenge, they've built a cohort of U.S. utilities thinking about what does our journey to net zero look like? And so that's got lots of great examples in their work of other utilities that are either committed or have started down their journey and all on different stages of the journey. Some are just getting started, some are well on their way. So there's lots of resources out there uh, to go look. Our paper highlights even a few more utilities that I would suggest checking out. Yeah. Well, that's very encouraging that utilities are thinking like this. Um, again, I'll, I'll return to the uh, utilities need to make sure that they are selling this properly to their uh, stakeholders and that they're, I, I think at least highlighting the economic benefits is really important. The net zero is, is great, mm-hmm. but but in order to get the entire community on board, the financial aspects really need to be highlighted because that's where that's where people are going to uh, try to pick at it, I, I would think. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, too, what we're, what we're seeing in Europe, which is, I would say, probably a little bit ahead of where U.S. is at on greenhouse gas emissions, it's entering their regulatory and funding requirements for utilities. And while we still, you know, have a ways to go here in the U.S., I think utilities should start thinking about does the future hold something like that in the regulatory environment that they need to start addressing emissions? So getting ahead of that now um, is is just smart overall. Yeah. So so for the utility that that you know you you talked about providing everyone a workbook and everyone goes around and kind of identifies areas where there 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 may be emissions. What about like identifying? Uh, inefficient assets, um, aging infrastructure. How, how, how does the report deal with those categories in terms of even, even identifying them if, if simply walking around with a workbook isn't sufficient? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of those things that you probably need another level of data to get at than, uh, than just a walkabout, which, which is a great starting point, but, um, a lot of it can be, is, is is being addressed with digital solutions um, and different digital technology out in the market. As Xylem, obviously, we provide uh, quite a bit in this space, and there's others out there as well, of what we can use on our equipment to run it smarter. And so I'll give a couple examples. Um, in wastewater pumping, which can be a big energy user, depending on the size of your utility, uh, using smart controls uh, to use the pump more efficiently. It doesn't need to run at 100%. Uh, the motor doesn't need to run at 100% all the time. Maybe it can run uh, just enough to keep things in operation, but 
without using all the energy required. There can be things like non-revenue water, which we obviously we don't typically think about as greenhouse gas emitting. But if you're a utility and you've got 20 plus percent non-revenue water loss, uh, that's a pretty big energy um, component because you use 20% more energy to, to produce that clean water. And so using things like pipe inspections, digital technology across your piping network to address non-revenue water, that can have some pretty, pretty good savings. And so a lot of this is it's applying existing digital, or just getting smarter data on your system and the efficient inefficiencies will show themselves pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we talked about educating the public. What about educating and getting the buy-in of the regulators, the, the governing bodies, uh, financial partners, things like that? How, how, do, how do you deal with them? I wouldn't say I have all the answers here, but I have maybe <laughs> some ideas. <laughs> um, so I, I break it into, I'd say, three tiers. The first on at, at the highest level of policymaking and thought leadership around climate change will be entering COP27 in November, uh, the UN's annual conference on climate commitments. And there, uh, as Xylem, as well as other partners, we're trying to use this opportunity to raise the awareness and the voice of water and wastewater utilities role. I mean, who's going to feel climate change first? Water, wastewater utilities. <laughs> they will be the first line of defense for many communities. Um, and so bringing their voice to the table is really important to us so that they've often not been in those high-level conversations. So, so at the very highest discussions on climate and commitments, water's voice needs to be represented. As we think more practically and regionally, you know, what we found, and this is at least from my experience um, that has surprised me a little bit, uh, the best conversation starters are typically around highlighting and celebrating utilities that have already made commitments and are making progress. And especially those that are making progress and they're seeing benefits in other areas, like you mentioned, economic, operational, et cetera. Uh, that speaks to regulators and regional governments that this can be done. Because often you can put together a great white paper of these are all the great benefits we could see, but to make it real and tangible with examples from other utilities and other regions, that seems to be most effective. And then finally, you know, the, the probably stakeholder that matters the most is the communities in which we all live. And I think collectively across the water sector, whether that's us asylum or utilities themselves, how we can educate the public on climate change will impact water and wastewater services. Uh, it is where we will feel climate change first, is through water, through storm events, through droughts, et cetera. And so we need to start thinking about not only how we build resilience to that collectively, but what role we play in slowing climate change through greenhouse gas mitigation. And that's just, that's just constant education, show with example, this is real. It's here. We're already feeling it. Um, and it, it will mean it'll become more significant for all of us if we don't start addressing it today. Absolutely. I, th I think your, your, your middle tier, that, that second point you made about 
being able to point to existing systems that have made progress and that are seeing benefits, that's huge. I mean, in, in, in my line of work, that's creating the evidentiary record on which a regulator can specifically approve a, a future project uh, because there are proven benefits that are, that are associated with it. So, One of the coolest programs I've seen this last year, um, IWA launched the Climate Smart Utilities Program, and, and Zion, we're fortunate enough to be the lead sponsor on this, but it, we took applications from utilities all over the world. Over 50 utilities applied on what their climate mitigation, adaptation, and leadership, and how they communicate to their communities um, and who is a, we recognized about 11 utilities that are quote unquote climate smart. Over half of those 50 utilities were from Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia. Um, and so you're getting this representation that this isn't just a North America problem. It's not just a European problem. All of us need to address it collectively. And some of the first action is being done by communities uh, we probably wouldn't necessarily think of first on actions. And so it's, we've got plenty of examples out there from all over the world to lean on. And by raising those up and celebrating those that are already on their way, I think it helps everyone get more comfortable that this is doable. <laughs> We're in this together uh, and we, we can all make a start. Awesome. Well, Austin, it has been fantastic having you on. I've, I've learned a lot. I've really appreciated the perspectives you've shared. Do you have a leave behind message you might want to, to provide the listeners? The best thing we can do heading into COP this year um, and, and you and Water Week next year is let's celebrate those utilities, those companies, those in our water sector that are, are making progress, um, that have taken the first steps. And whatever we can do as the water sector to use our shared voice and celebrating and lifting them up, uh, I, I hope all of us do that. Great. That's very good, very good lead behind message, Austin. Uh, for those who want to find out more about you, Xylem, and Net Zero, the race we all win, uh, where can they go to find more information on those? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, the Xylem.com website, we have a microsite linked right there on the front page uh, to our Race to Zero white paper, as well as some other information, other partner papers, et cetera. Um, so I encourage anyone who's interested to get on there. I myself am on all the socials, so, <laughs> yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever. Uh, if anybody wants to connect there, um, would love to, would love to hear from you. Great. Thank you. And for those listening, uh, while you're on the road or running or something like that, we'll put the link in the show notes. If, uh, if you can't find it elsewhere on the web. So, uh, Austin, again, thank you so much for coming on. It was great speaking with you. Yeah. Likewise. What you just mentioned, I'm training for a marathon right now and your podcast is on my list of long run listen. So it's <laughs> such an honor to be uh, able to join you this, today. Well, thank you. It's, I, I always love it when I hear someone who's downloaded because, uh, and listen, because I know it's not just my mom who's, who's uh, downloading and listening. So, <laughs> so thank you, Austin. I'm sure my mom will download this one too. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Austin, thanks so much for your time. Great speaking with you and we'll talk to you soon. Likewise. Thanks, David. Uh -huh. Bye. Great, great job by Austin explaining some simple ways to get started on the path to decarbonization and the methods that you can use to ratchet those initial steps up. And as I kind of hinted at the beginning, the most important short-term lesson, one that people of all political stripes can get behind, is that making progress towards net zero saves money. 
such an important point because that's how you're going to sell it to the public, to the leaders. Net zero can sell some people, but it's not going to sell all. Saving money will sell almost everyone. One last note, Austin, good luck running that marathon. That's one race I'm not going to run. Well, I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page for information and links on this episode, including the link to Net Zero, the Race We All Win report. You can just Google the Water Values podcast, click the first link that comes up. That's our homepage on the web at uh, Bluefield Research's site. Again, the Water Values and Bluefield Research are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing agreement. And as part of that, Bluefield's nice enough to, nice enough to give us a home on the web. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can also email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page I mentioned earlier as well. Thank you again for tuning in and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values podcast include Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, Can Do, Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard and & Curran, and Intera. And this show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders providing support. And thank you, the listener, for listening and subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. I truly appreciate it. And again, hope you have a wonderful holiday season. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.